Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Isn't the gospel incredible? Isn't the word incredible, the truth incredible about what God has done for us? Pete raised the question about our sins. He asked the question, are you still in your sins? Why are you still in your sins? As if you were still sinning like you weren't saved. And I don't know if you understood the answer to that, the question he raised, but the question is, is we're sinners. The question is, we're broken. The question is, we don't walk with God as we should. We aren't holy as He is holy. But there's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus died for us. He did break His body in that cross. His his body was broken, so to speak. His blood poured out for us. He was sacrificed for us. He died in our place. He took our sins. He paid for every last one. Saved by the grace of God. Saved by Jesus' sacrifice as we trust in Him. Man, we're, we're going to be sinners till we die. We're not going to be perfect. We're never going to arrive. We're never going to get there. We're never going to be perfect as He is perfect. And yet that's what the beauty of the gospel it speaks. That, that's the message of God that righteousness is found in Jesus Christ alone. Through trust in Him, through belief in Him, we're saved by His righteousness, His sacrifice, His suffering on the cross, His death, so that we wouldn't have to die. The imputed righteousness, the given righteousness, the blessed righteousness is ours. Forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Acceptance by God through Jesus Christ. The gospel is glorious. How how do we go about sharing this message? How, How do we go about sharing this message to other religious people? I guess the way I'm saying this is, how do you go about reaching people that are, are believers in other gods? How do we bring the gospel to people, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ alone? How do we bring this to people who are of other faiths, of other religions, of other philosophies? How do we go about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ so that people can be saved through faith in Him? Please open your Bibles to the the book of Acts. Acts 17, verse 16 is where we'll start. People need the Lord. People can't save themselves. People can't overcome their sins by themselves, by their own power. They can't uh, rescue themselves. They need a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. Saved by Him, by faith in Him alone, through His work on the cross alone. But how do we communicate this? How do we call people to salvation? Uh, We've been traveling with the Apostle Paul through various places in uh, parts of Turkey and now into Europe. He's in Greece now. Uh, He's traveled to a place called Athens. Verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? 
Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? If you bring some strange things to our ears. Wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. And all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Pause there, please. So, uh, Berea, last week, they were in Berea, as we, we preached last week, we talked about it last week. Paul's uh, time in Berea preached the gospel, and again, he was driven out. The Bereans, some Bereans, they looked at the scriptures, yeah, what he's saying is true, they believed, but others came from Thessalonica and, and drove him out. And he finds himself in Athens, uh, maybe 150 miles south of Berea. Uh, it's amazing, some of the church, the new church members from Thessalonica and Berea uh, escorted him all the way to Athens, and that's a massive endeavor back in the day. How many weeks were they gone from their businesses? How many weeks were they gone from their lives just to take Paul safely to Athens? But he gets to Athens, and it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, he doesn't have his, his attendants, his, his assistants. Timothy isn't there. Silvanus or Silas isn't there with him. It seems to be he's waiting. He's, he's waiting for them to come. He's, maybe he's taking a break. Maybe he arrived there to be in a safe place for a season. Maybe just to rest. Athens, uh, centuries before Paul, was an incredible city, an incredible place. The height of Greek culture, the height of Greek art, height of Greek philosophy. Uh, even in Paul's day, centuries and centuries after the high point of, of, of Athens, it's still a place where the rich people in Roman society would send their sons to be educated in philosophical uh, teachings. Uh, it was still a place where if you were a philosopher, if you were a, a teacher of ideas, if you were looking for patrons to support you in your work, uh, you would end up in Athens just like actors and actresses end up in Hollywood. It was still the, the, the magnet for the world in terms of ideas and thoughts and, and philosophies. And uh, here he is in, in this beautiful, incredibly beautiful city. The architecture apparently was just grand. These century-old uh, buildings, uh, centuries-old buildings, uh, in the height of, of any kind of uh, modern, in their day, the modern architecture, the beauty was in, intense. But, but Luke doesn't tell us about any of that. His, his, his focus is on the gospel. As he's reporting the travels of Paul, the mission of Paul, the, 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 the calling of Paul, he, he, he talks about the gospel. He recounts uh, this, this story of Paul in Athens because he wants us to hear how to share the gospel. Uh, again and again through Acts, we've given, been given examples of, of practical sermons in this setting and that setting and, and how to share the gospel there with those people. And, but, but now he comes to a place very much different from Judaism, very much different than even his growing up in Tarsus, what, what he saw there. An intellectual capital of the world, as it were, the philosophies from all over. Um, he's not in Jerusalem anymore. He, it says here that 
as he was waiting for them at Athens, he's waiting for Silas and Timothy to come to continue the second missionary journey. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Uh, so maybe one day he's, he's waiting and he takes a tour of the Agora, the marketplace. Maybe he goes up the Acropolis, the, the, the incredible architecture up there, and, he, and he's just looking around and he's, he's just stunned by all the idols. Uh, Athens at this point, the historians estimate about 10,000 people, about the size of Alamosa in terms of population. But they estimate that there is some 30,000 statues around the city. Statues of this god and that god, uh, shrines, little temples, big temples, all over the place. He grew up in uh, Tarsus, which had a, had a university, so to speak, uh, an intellectual center as well, but nothing like this. Paul traveled around. He saw the different the first missionary journey and the second mission. He saw the Greek gods. He knew all about them, but this was over the top. You don't, you don't get any more idolatrous than this. Statue after statue, and he sees people venerating these gods. He sees people worshiping these gods here and there. These people coming for that god. These people coming for that god. These people, uh, you know, appeasing that god, looking for prosperity, looking for blessing from that god. Hey, help my crops. Help my children uh, have children. Help, help us live well. Just again and again, and he's provoked. The word there, it, it, it's talking about an anger, a, a, an anger. In the Old Testament, you can read through Deuteronomy or Leviticus or Exodus, you can see God being provoked by idols. God angered at the false worship, the worthlessness of these statues, the worthlessness of these false gods. It angers Paul because that honor belongs to Yahweh. That honor belongs to the Lord. That honor belongs to God. But, but he's also uh, provoked, distressed. Some of your translations say greatly distressed. He's grieved in spirit when he sees people enslaved by false ideas. When he, see, when he sees Satan over people's lives, the God of this age has blinded the mind of the unbelievers. Says, he says in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. They, they don't see the truth. He, he's grieved. He's, he's agonized over the lost state of these people. I think uh, sharing, sharing the gospel begins with the realization of the truth that people are lost. People aren't connected with God. They're not close to God. They're, they're not saved. They're not declared righteous, they're not justified, they're, they're not forgiven of their sins, they're, they're chasing their tails, they're, they're chasing philosophies, they're, they're chasing uh, gods trying to earn their way or trying to get the gods to give them what they want, they're lost. Paul is, is grieved, he's, he's angry, he's frustrated. Uh, what does he do about it? How do we share the gospel with people? How do, we, how do we get the gospel to people? How do we get the message from heaven that people can be saved, that they can have a relationship with God, that they can be forgiven of their sins? Uh, it starts with a, a realization, a, a, a belief, a doctrinal belief that the scriptures tell us that people are lost outside of Jesus Christ. Without a relationship with Jesus Christ, they are hell-bound. 
dead in their sins and trespasses, without any hope of eternal life. Uh, Paul, Paul launches from here. I mean, he's there to rest, apparently. He's there out of safety's sake. He usually has his assistants. He, they went two by two, or they, they went as a group wherever he went, but he can't wait. He sees the deadness of people. He sees the hopelessness of people believing in idols, putting their hope in idols, statues that men have made. And he can't stay silent. He, sta- he can't stay within his own realm and his own world. He can't say, well, that's their problem. He's provoked. I, I confess to you there's sometimes that I'm not very passionate about the gospel. I, I confess to you there's sometimes that I don't love people like God loves people. There's sometimes that I'm maybe busy with my own stuff or my own energy, my, my own focus, my own dreams, that I, I lose sight of people being far from God and needing to be saved. This, he's on a missionary, a missionary journey. He's a missionary. You know, he, he, that's his, kind of his job. But, but suddenly he, something snaps and he says, this is what I'm here for, to see these people saved. And so what, what does he do? He, he, he reasons, he goes several places. He, verse 17, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. We, we've, we've seen this again and again through the first missionary journey and the second missionary journey, reasoned. Uh, he went into the synagogue. There, there was a, probably a reading of the day in the synagogue. They invited the rabbi, you know, Paul dressed as a Pharisee probably to fit in to, to the Jewish circles. So they invited him to speak. He reasoned from the scriptures. He dialogued. He, he, he argued with them. He, he shared from the scriptures about the gospel. Now, now, the Jews, the starting place, fascinating, the starting place with the Jews, he didn't have to tell them that there was a God. He didn't have to tell them about God's holiness. He didn't have to tell them about Jewish history. Uh, many of his synagogue sermons, as, we, as we've seen, he starts with Abraham, or he starts with Moses, or he starts with David. And, and he, he leads that into Jesus Christ. Um, he, he's doing the same thing here. He goes in there. Some of you thinking that you're saved because you're Jewish. Some of you thinking you're saved because you keep the law. You keep the Torah. Some of you think you're saved because you're righteous enough. No, he, he's preaching Jesus in the, in the synagogue. Not only to the Jewish people, but the God-fearers. The Gentiles who have come to monotheism as uh, ethical standard and, and morality, uh, a place they want to be instead of the paganism around them. He says, you need Jesus just like everybody else. You need to be saved. Jesus is the Christ. He's the anointed one who is promised. He died for your sins. He rose from the dead on the third day. Trust in him. Believe in him. Believe in him for life. You can just imagine as he went into the synagogue on the Sabbaths in Athens and preached. But he didn't stop there. As he was provoked, as he saw lost people needing to be saved, he moved out further from his norm. Uh, Maybe, maybe we, as we think about how do we get the gospel to lost people, maybe it's time for us to think about us moving out of our norm. I think our norm is we go to work, we go to uh, school, we, we go into our neighborhood, and we're like, well, if anyone wants to talk about Jesus, here I am. They can come see me. If, everyone, if anyone has a question, they know I'm a Christian, they can come see me. They can talk to me. And maybe that's our norm. And maybe the years go by and we never share the gospel because no one's questioning us. No one's asking. No one's pursuing us. Uh, Paul, 
He went to be with them. He went towards them. He, had, he moved towards them in love, in, 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 in hope that they would be saved. His heart was provoked. He was, he was grieved. He wanted them to be uh, rescued from their sins. And so he went with them to where they... It says he went to the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Every day. He went to the marketplace. Now, he's uh, obviously a missionary. He's getting supported by his home church, uh, most likely, uh, you know, back in Syria, where he and, and Barnabas preached. Uh, he's probably, he has the financial means to do this. Many of us don't have the financial means to take every day off and go somewhere and preach the gospel, of course. But every day we go places where people are. Every day we go places where people are lost. Every day we go people with people of other religions and different faiths uh, beyond Christianity. We have the opportunity every day to be a presence for Jesus Christ, to be a messenger of Jesus Christ in the gospel. Now here's Paul. He's saying, I could hang out in this city, this beautiful city, and look at the artwork, or I could be about the mission of Jesus Christ. Uh, these people are dying. They might never hear the gospel again. And so every day he's in the marketplace. Every day he's, uh, the Agora was not just a place where you went and to buy things. It wasn't like a marketplace that we think about. It was the cultural center of the day. It was, it was the, the, the center of the city. Uh, the philosophers, like, like I said, they would come from around the world and they'd set up their table. Like my son Will has a table out in the lobby for a college ministry in Durango. They'd set up their table and, and they, they'd say, hey, this is who we are. This is what we're doing. This is what, what, what we're, we're about. Here's our ideas. And, and they, they'd kind of dialogue with everybody that passed by or some would stand up on a box and preach. they say, this is the truth. This is the way it is. And it was just the normal way to do it. And so Paul enculturates himself. He steps into the world that he's a part of. And, and because it was acceptable in Athens to do that, he jumped into it. What am I missing where I'm not sharing the gospel anymore in my culture? What, what, what am I doing where I'm not going anymore? What am I doing where I opportunities to share and I don't. I'm stunned by my own selfishness sometimes. I'm stunned by my own, you know, inward focus sometimes where people are dying and people are lost and they, the gospel is there. The gospel can rescue them. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And, and, I, and I don't speak it and I don't share it. What, what, what am I doing? God, give us grace to see those avenues of approach. Give us grace to see those places we can meet people and share love, your love, your salvation, your rescue with them. Uh, Paul goes to, to the Agora, the marketplace, every day. Whoever would listen, whoever would listen, he'd speak to. Whoever would uh, ask him questions, he'd, he'd answer their questions. He'd dialogue, maybe a question and answer format. You know, the, so you know, the, the method of the philosophers Ask questions, and if they ask you a question, ask more questions to lead them to truth. Um, he, he was there, and while he was there, there's all these different philosophies, right? Who knows how many dozens of different philosophies? There's a few that uh, Luke mentions to us just to give us a flavor of what he faced. The Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers. The Epicureans were basically, hey, uh, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That, that was, they, they, they didn't see that there was a God in this world. They're more like deists. The idea that God maybe, that God started the world, but they're not here anymore. They don't care about us. Everything's chance. Everything's random. Uh, you don't know when you're going to die, so the best thing you can do is have pleasure while you're here. 
Now, they didn't go down the road of sensuality like our culture. Like there's so many sensualists in our culture that just live for sex or live for partying or live for the next high. They weren't like that because they were moralists as well. They saw the best life as a moral life, strangely enough. And so they found the best road to pleasure, what it is, it's, it means avoiding that. It means avoiding that. The best road to pleasure is to live in a certain way. But pleasure was what it was about because there's no judgment after you die. There's, you know, that was their philosophy. You just live the best you can while you're here. And that sounds like Coloradans in a lot of ways. <laughs> and they're dying and they're going to hell. Because they've rebelled against the living God. They've rebelled. They, they've, they've, even though God is revealed in his eternal power and his divine nature, it's clearly seen by what's been made. People say, no, there isn't a God. No, there isn't. And it's right there in their face. And they're held accountable for it. There's a day of judgment coming. Will they be held accountable for it? And yet the Epicureans are like, Psh, Paul, whatever. Now, the Stoics were different. They did believe that there was a God who created everything. The Stoics were different. They believed that God was in everything. Now, it's more like pantheism, the idea that God's involved in everything. He's in this, he's in this, this stanchion. He's in that table. He's in you. Uh, they did see that life was, your destiny was chosen before you were alive. And all, all you had to, you, you had to adjust it's almost like a fatalism, almost like a, a realism that whatever comes, I can't avoid it. Whatever comes, I can't go there. I can't leave it. I can't depart from it. So I need to stoically go through it without showing emotion, without showing feeling, without getting involved. And, uh, and, and one day when this soul leaves this body, they did believe in an afterlife, that the immortal soul would go. And, and so their, their job was to be as, as, as moral and good as possible in this season while bad things are happening, but you don't, you don't, you don't try to break away from it because it's your destiny. You go through it as strongly and endure it as strong as you can. I, I know some farmers in, in this valley they are like that. Ah, oh, another crop lost. Just my destiny. I'm just going to keep pushing through. I'm just going to live it out the best I can. God will sort it out in the end. Paul is addressing a wide variety of philosophies. He, he's, he's dealing with all these people, but he keeps calling them to Jesus Christ. He keeps calling them to trust in Jesus alone for salvation. Uh, they, they, they come to Paul and they say, what's this babbler trying to say? This is new to them. This is the first time they've heard the gospel. Do you realize we live amongst the people today who've never heard the gospel? There might be people you work with, people you go to school, who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, they're, they're confused. When they say babbler, uh, another, another translation of that is seed picker. See, in, in Athens, there's all these different people, all these different philosophers who had come, and they were looking for patrons. You've heard of patrons of the arts before? Uh, like artists are always trying to get patrons, like rich people, to support their work and put them on some kind of a, a schedule where they can produce art and they get paid for it and they don't have to work ever again in, in, in the real world. There's people like that in Athens who had come, and they're looking for rich people to support their philosophies. 
And so, and so the, the locals would talk about these people as being seed pickers. And they compared them like birds that would pick out scraps of the gutter, from the gutters. Like, like different ideas. From, they, they pick the seed pickers, the babblers. They, they grab that idea from that philosopher, that, that idea from that philosopher, that idea from that philosopher. And they put it together and they call it their own. And, and, the, and the, the true philosophers, they would look down on these people and say, oh, they're, they're like a, a crow picking out scraps from the gutter and putting it together and calling it their own seed picker. So it's a very big put down. What's this babbler trying to say? He seems to be preaching of, of foreign divinities, preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Uh, the, the, uh, the Greek word anastasis there, it's related to resurrection. And so as, they, as he preached Jesus, they, they thought he was talking about two gods, Jesus and Anastasis, Jesus and resurrection. They, they're, they're not getting it, okay? They're not hearing him. And that, there's a challenge in sharing the gospels is because Satan's at work and because people's presuppositions, there, there is a, there's a bridge to, to cross. We have to bring them across the bridge of understanding. We have to help them understand the gospel. There's so many people in our culture maybe grew up in church settings, grew up in, in certain religious settings. They think they know Christianity, but they don't. They think they figured out Christianity, but they don't have a clue about the gospel. They think they have to work their way to heaven. They have to get better in their life to earn salvation. And they haven't heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you're saved by faith in Jesus alone. Saved by grace of God alone. Not by your works. Not by your goodness or your church attendance or anything like that. Uh, and so, so Paul is facing these dilemmas. He's facing these challenges. Uh, and they took him to the Areopagus, okay? Now, now there's, there's a couple, there's a, there's a word play here. The hill of Ares, or Mars Hill, uh, it, was, it was this little, the, the, the Acropolis was this big kind of plateau where the pantheon, the, the gods were, the massive temples were. But the, 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 the Areopagus was this smaller hill uh, around Athens, and uh, it was called the Hill of Ares, the Greek goddess of war, or Mars Hill, the, the Roman god of war. And so this, this address that, he's, that we're going to look at in a moment is called as Mars, the Mars Hill Address, or the Mars Hill Sermon. And, and churches have been so impressed by this, this, this sermon he's going to give that we're going to look at in a moment that they've called their churches the Mars Hill Church or whatever because of the way he interacted with lost people. But he go, they, they take him to the Areopagus. Now, there's, it's not the hill necessarily, but there's a group of philosophers who have been charged with overseeing the religion of the city. It's such a destination for religionists and philosophers that they, they actually set up a council or some kind of a clearinghouse, a, 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 a sanctioning body to say to people like, yeah, every, you're, we've got freedom of speech here, but if it's way out of line, we're going to kick you out of the city. And so he's got the attention. He's been in the... In the Agora every day preaching. He's been in Agora every day. And so finally, the, the, the philo philosophical body, the Areopagus, this, this group of this council that's been given authority over the city's ideas and teachings, they call him forth. We want to hear what you have to say. We want to hear what you've been teaching. You, you brought strange teachings to our ears. Man, uh, it, it's, it's incredible that they, they've never heard the gospel before. What, what a moment for Paul. What, what a moment. Because he's been so bold, because he's stepped out, he's put himself out there. He, he's trying to bring Jesus to people. He's trying to bring people to Jesus. You know, 
Remember 1 Corinthians 9, like, I'm doing everything I can to win some. To the Greek, I become a Greek. To the Jew, I become a Jew. I'm doing everything I can to bring some people to Jesus. And he's got that heart. And so he, now, now he's facing it. <laughs> now, you know, in the olden days, you know, they, if they didn't like someone in, in Athens, they'd give them hemlock. <laughs> they'd kill them. Now, it doesn't seem to be something that happens here. Uh, but nevertheless, it's an intimidating moment. But it's the moment he was prepared for. He was tra- trained by the, the greatest rabbi in Jerusalem, Gamaliel. He, he had grown up in a philosophical tradition in Tarsus. He knew the word. It's his time to shine. Man, how many times have maybe have we missed our time to share the gospel? Because our hearts weren't broken for people, or we didn't love people, or we didn't, we didn't think that God's message was important enough to share. Now here's Paul. He's right where he wants to be. The height of, of, of a Greek philosophy. He gets to share the gospel with these superstars, as it were. Again, the, the, this, these are the people that all the rich people around the Roman Empire send their sons to to learn from. Now he gets to preach to them. What a moment. What a moment. Uh, God, I think, gives us all moments and seasons and times if we're looking for it, if we're, if we're ready with the gospel, if we're, if we're hungering to see people saved, if we're, if we're living our life with a gospel orientation, a, a life of, of going, a life of serving Jesus with the gospel. But here's, here's Paul's moment. And so they, they, they put him down again in verse 21. Now the, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time nothing except telling or hearing something new. You know, they, they, they want to know what he has to say, but they, they don't really care. They're kind of callous to truth. They're kind of callous to what's real. They're kind of, they've heard so many ideas, so many philosophies. They're like, uh, what's this babbler going to say to us? And look at verse 22. As we look at the Mars Hill address. How do you go about uh, bringing the gospel to lost people? Well, you start with the idea that they're lost and they need to be saved. And then you put yourself in a position to be with them in some fashion, to be close to them in some fashion, to be near to them in some fashion. You put yourself out there. You don't wait for people to come to you. You don't wait for people to seek you out because a lot of people just don't care. Their, their minds aren't there. They're, they're not thinking about religion. They're not thinking about life after death. They're not thinking about the things of God. And so we take the gospel to them. So he, he puts himself out there, and now he gets to preach. And we, we, if you read through this, you know, it's going to take us two minutes. But maybe as, as Luke's style was, there's probably a 30-minute uh, sermon here or a 60-minute sermon that he dials down just a few sentences just to give us an idea of what happened. So Paul, verse 22, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. For as I passed along and observed the object of, of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man and now nor, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God, perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, 
yet he is actually not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, for indeed his offspring, being therefore God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, image formed by the art or imagination of man. That was his summary, as Luke reports it. Now he calls for a decision. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he's appointed. And of all this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, we'll hear you again about this. <clears throat> we'll put, a, put you on our calendars. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysus, the Aragopite, uh, and the woman named Demarius and, and others with them. Now, this, this is an incredible sermon in very, very many ways, but again, it's very condensed, it's very compact. Uh, so how do, you, how do you address people of other religions? Now, there's some people that just bring out the hammer right away and, uh, and just start putting people down or start crushing people or destroying people, destroying their ideas. But Paul doesn't move in that way towards people. He, he starts with... Uh, he starts with a common ground, as it were. Now, he, he's addressing philosophers here. He's not addressing Jews in the synagogue anymore. And the Jews in the synagogue, how would he approach them? He'd approach them wisely. And, and as we saw in many of the synagogue sermons and acts so far, uh, he, he'd move towards people with the idea in the synagogue of, of Jewish history. Brothers, we know that this happened in the past, and God did this in the past. God did that in the past. And now it's come to Jesus. With these people, he starts in a different place. You know, when I was in Bible college, I, I learned the four spiritual laws. I learned one way to present the gospel. You know, and it's meant to be for everybody. <laughs> and it's in a powerful, it's a, the four spiritual laws is a powerful witnessing tool. But, but when you're dealing with different people, there's different starting places. Here he's talking to pagans. You have pagans living all around you. Where do you start? Do you start with the assumption that they know the God you know, that they see his attributes as you see his attributes? No, you start where they are. And so Paul does that. He says, hey, I see that you're very religious. Now, some people have condemned Paul for, you know, being too soft in the Athenians. But again, he start, he's looking for a launching point. He's looking for an entry point for the gospel. And so he's, he's stating something that they understand. Hey, you're very religious. You do, you're incredible at venerating the gods, aren't you? Yeah, we are. That's our, that's, our, that's, our, that's our thing around here. We're good at venerating the gods. We're good at worshiping all the gods. You know, we, we, we're, we're, we want the gods to like us. We want the gods to bless us. We don't want to be cursed by the gods. So we do a great job of lifting up the gods. Paul says, yeah, I, I can see that. You know, and as I was walking around, I, I saw this inscription to an unknown god. That's fascinating. What were you doing there? And so they, they probably shared about their ideas there. And what it really means is they're very superstitious. Like, in case we missed a god, let's put a shrine up so we don't offend that unknown god. Right? Because that unknown god might be powerful. An unknown god, if we don't, you know, pat him on the back and say, you're a great god, he might get mad at us. You know, the Greek gods were very, not, they weren't very nice oftentimes. They weren't very moral or good. And so it was a superstitious thing. Well, we better, we better put a, a, a shrine up for that one too in case we're missing somebody. Equal opportunity worshipers kind of people. 
And so Paul said, yeah, I saw that. Now, you know, he's, he's kind of, this is where he kind of gets bold. He, he says, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. He's not saying that they're true worshipers or anything. He, he knows they're superstitious. Um, let me tell you about this God. You see, he, he, he's taken something from their culture, from their setting, and, and he's using that as a segue, as, a, as an entry point, to tell them about the true God. Now, I, this, there is a God that you don't know about. There's this God that you need to meet. There's, there is this God that's awesome. You're ignorant of him right now. You, you, you don't understand him, but let me tell you about him. So he's got this audience, and, and then he starts down Christian theology 101. He starts, starts down a doctrinal belief 101. But, but the idea is that, that there's some overlap. He's, he's building common ground. You say God's like this? Well, yeah, he's like that, but more, but more. See, there's, there's various points in this, in this explanation of God that the Epicureans would agree with. There's various points in this explanation that the Stoics would agree with. But Paul takes it further. He takes it biblically. He takes it in the truth. Let me just run really fast through this with you a little bit. Um, to not, what, what therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it. So the God that you, don't, that you need to worship is the creator God. He, he made everything, Right? Uh, it says, being Lord of heaven, this, the Lord of heaven and earth, he's the ruler of everything. Your little chintzy gods that you're worshiping, they're not the ruler of anything. This is the almighty God that I want you to, I want to introduce, you, introduce you to. Uh, being Lord of heaven, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he need anything. Now, he's a transcendent God. He's a God of spirit. He doesn't live in temples. He, he doesn't need your service. He doesn't need anything from you. Why do you think the gods are appeased by your grain offerings or your, your, your pouring out wine on their shrine? They, this God doesn't care anything about that. If it's motivated by lust or greed or your own desires, he doesn't need that. Uh, he himself gives life to gives mankind life and breath and everything. This is the author of life. The God that you should worship is the one who made life. He's the sustainer of life. He's beyond any God you've ever worshipped before. You need to know this God. You need to worship this God. You know, you could imagine if, if we heard the full transcript of, this, of the sermon, how Paul would take out every one of these points and line them out in power and, and speak to them about who the true God is. He gives mankind life and breath and everything. He's a good God. He's not like the gods, the Greek gods, like Mars or Ares. He, he's, the, the, ah, he's not like that. He's, he's a good God. He made, from, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods of boundaries in their dwelling place. He's a sovereign God. He's in control of all things. He has a plan. He's taken the world to his appointed ends. You need to worship this God. This is the God you should know. This is the God you should bow to. This is the one you should come under the reign of the king for. He is the one. The boundaries and dwelling places that they should seek God. This is a personal God. This is a, he, he set things up, the, the boundaries of the nations. He set up the nations as, as he saw fit so that people would seek him. 
So the people, I don't understand all that, but Paul says that's what he did. He had a purpose. He wanted people to know him. He wanted people to meet him. A personal God, a, a loving God, that they should seek and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. And he's actually not far from us, right? So he's imminent. He's not pantheistic in stuff, but his spirit is everywhere. He's near. He's here right now. If you haven't come to know this God, you can call on his name right now and be saved because he's here. Uh, Paul, I, I would love to hear, have heard the full sermon. Even some of your poets said, we are indeed his offspring. Now, it's not that we're divine like God is divine. It's not like we're his redeemed children, like every person on the face of the earth is now his child. Rather, we've been made in the image of God. We're his offspring in the sense Paul was getting at. We're, we're made in the reflection of God, the image of God. And his point in that, he, he draws the sermon as Luke describes it. In verse 29, he draws it to a conclusion. Being then made in God's image or being made in God's offspring, we're not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of men. God made you. God made you in his image. We're all his children in that sense. How in the world can we think about that a God would be something that comes out of our imagination that we could shape out of stone or wood or overlay with fine jewels or, or gold? Paul's saying that's foolishness. The God, I, the God that you need to worship, he's transcendent, he's holy, he's sovereign, he's the creator of all things. He's the ageless one, the eternal one. This is the God that you need to know. But the problem is, You've been living in this sin long enough. You've been living in this ignorance long enough, creating your own gods, creating your own ideas of gods. And how foolish is that? How crazy is that? The times of such ignorance, verse 30, God is overlooked. Uh, you can write down Romans 3.25 if you're taking notes. He, he hasn't brought the judgment on sin. He's, he's been patient, in other words. He could have killed every last person on the face of the earth long ago, but he's been patient. He's overlooked such ignorance and such rebellion, but no more. Now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Uh, now that the gospel has come, now that the Christ has come, right? It, Paul, and again, the sermon would go deeper. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. He's the king who's bringing the kingdom. He's bringing the reign of God upon the earth. And if you die before meeting this God and being forgiven by this God, uh, coming under the reign of this God, you're going to be judged. There's no hope anymore if you don't turn to this Jesus. And, and he goes from there into the resurrection. He died in, in like Luke's style. Luke doesn't talk about the atonement in, his, in Paul's sermons at, at all, really. He assumes that his readers know about the atonement, that what we talked about in the Lord's Supper, that he died in our place. The perfect sacrifice took the wrath of God for our sins. He paid for our sins by believing in him, right? By trusting in his work, we are justified. We're saved. He, he, he doesn't, but he assumes we know it because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, now, there's, there's a lot of depth here, but it goes back to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. The Son of Man who is given all authority in Daniel's vision. 
By this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul's point is, man, the time has come for you to repent. The time has come for you to trust in this God, to believe in this Savior. God has marked him out. God has set him aside. The man, the man of all authority, the king, the Lord of the world, God has marked him out. He set him aside by raising him from the dead. He's been given a name that's above every name. He's been given a power and authority and might and honor and praise. He's the Lord of all. You need to come under the reign of the king. Uh, how, to, how, to, how, to, how to reach people. Paul started with where they were. He started with some common ground, but he set out the truth, the biblical truth. He didn't leave them. He didn't assume that, yeah, it's okay to believe what you believe. He said, no, you need to repent of that. You need to leave that. Start with the common ground, but, but, but bring the truth in and then call them to the truth. Call them to leave the falsehood behind. But when it comes to the gospel, we call them to trust in Jesus Christ alone. He's the one who died. He's the one who rose from the dead. He's the Savior. We always, we always end with Jesus, don't we? We always call them to trust in Jesus. God's the creator. You sinned against this God. You're headed towards death. You can't save yourself. But Jesus, he died in your place. He's, he died as a sacrifice. He died as, your, as a, your substitute. He took the wrath of God for you. He bore your sins on that tree. And anybody who trusts in him, you believe in Jesus, you will be saved. We always end with Jesus. And we call people to that truth. It's no different whatever religion you're facing, another other belief system, whatever philosophy. You guys, we could do this. We're called to do this, to call people to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here today and, and man, you've never trusted in Jesus, Paul's word or, words are applicable to you. Repent from your false belief. Repent of your sins. Turn away from their wicked ways. Turn away from trusting in yourself. Turn away from anything that you think you're, you're being saved out of your own volition, out of your own strength, out of your own worthiness. Repent of that and turn to Jesus Christ. Trust in Him, in His work on the cross. That's what it said, my body broken for you, my blood poured out for you, that all who believe in Him, all who receive Him, can have eternal life. That could be you today. Please, don't stay in your philosophy, your man-made philosophy. Don't stay with your worthless idols. Don't stay with your man-made religion. Turn to Jesus Christ. Trust in Him alone and be saved. If you want to talk more about this, I'd love to dialogue with you and discuss. Maybe there's people we can reach in our valley today. Maybe there's a group we can go for and, and, and reach out to in love. Maybe we can see people, we can see people come to Jesus Christ because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. Please stand in His presence. Would we, uh, it would be good for us to praise God today as we go out. Uh, praise Him for His salvation. Praise Him for His rescue. Praise Him for the gospel. Praise Him for making us a family of God. Would you sing the doxology with me today? 
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. power of the Lord Jesus. Amen. To him be the glory. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people and right now, he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.